You guys excited for Christmas at the movies? I absolutely am. If you're new-ish to Connect Church, this was a tradition that we started when we met back at the Cineplex. And we used to do this series called At the Movies. And basically the idea behind it is during the teaching time of our service, we would show you clips from well-known movies. And then I would come up in between and we would talk about like the biblical themes that are present. And I would show you how like Hollywood is constantly teaching. Hollywood is constantly communicating a message. And sometimes those messages messages are in line with what the scripture says God's desire and plan for his people are, and sometimes it's not. And so we highlight those different things in the At The Movie series. Now, this is the Christmas edition of At The Movies. So what that means is we're going to be looking at Christmas movies every single week uh, this December. It's going to be a lot of fun. This is a fun and unique way to kind of encounter God's plan for us, right? What does God desire for you and for me? Well, Christmas movies often teach us some very important biblical principles. And again, we're going to highlight those. This is a great service to invite a friend or family member to. Like we've got invite cards that are out in the back, little square green cards. Pass them out to people that you know. Like tell them, hey, come to church with me this Sunday. We're going to be watching Home Alone. They're going to be like, what What kind of weird church do you go to? But they're interested. I'll tell you that much, okay? It's a great service to invite somebody to. So this morning, without further ado, we are going to be discussing the greatest Christmas movie ever. There will be no debate or discussion. I don't care if you disagree with me. There is one greatest Christmas movie of all time. It is not Elf. Elf is the funniest Christmas movie of all time. It's not Charlie Brown Christmas special. That's the cutest Christmas movie of all time. No, the greatest Christmas movie of all time is Home Alone. 100%. It is the best of the best. There are a ton of reasons to like the Home Alone story, and we're going to talk about some of them this morning. But somebody pointed out to me this week that Home Alone is basically diehard for kids, which is like another great reason to love it. If you think about those two movies, the plots are very, very similar. Now, of course... Home Alone is the story of little Kevin McAllister and his big, crazy, chaotic family who accidentally leaves him home alone when they go on a large family vacation to Paris, France. And so what we're going to do is we're going to roll the first of five clips from the movie Home Alone this morning. And in this first clip, it's actually the night before the family leaves on the big trip. So like everybody's there. You're going to see just how wild and crazy this family really is. We're going to learn a little bit about Kevin, and we're going to learn a whole lot about his clan. So enjoy your popcorn, sit back, chill out. Let's roll the first clip of Home Alone. I don't know how to pack a suitcase. I've never done this once in my whole life. Tough. That's what Megan said. What did I say? You told Kevin tough. The dope was whining about a suitcase. What am I supposed to do? Shake his hand and say, congratulations, you're an idiot? I'm not an idiot. Oh, really? You're completely helpless. Everyone has to do everything for you. She's right, Kev. Excuse me, pupus. I'm a lot smaller than you. I don't know how to pack a suitcase. Hey, I hope you didn't just pack crap, Jeff. Shut up, Lenny. Do you know what I should pack? I was told you, cheek face. Toilet paper and water. Listen, Kev, what are you so worried about? You know Mom's going to pack your stuff anyway. You're what the French call les incompetents. What? Bombs away! P.S. You have to sleep on the hide-a-bed with Fuller. If he has something to drink, he's going to wet the bed. This house is so full of people. It makes me sick. When I grow up and get married, I'm living alone. Did you hear me? I'm living alone. 
that line, when I grow up and get married, I'm living alone, is so stinking good. I'm going to start quoting that. That is really, really funny, okay? Now, I know many of you were like transported back to your childhood when you saw those dynamics play out. You're like, oh, I had siblings and cousins that were just like that. Kevin is insulted by his family members and he's insulted by his family members and then he's insulted some more. You get the sense that this is exactly how the family operates. And finally, he can't take it anymore. So he starts jumping up and down and screaming, I want to live alone which is exactly what's going to happen later in the movie, right? It's a brilliant bit of foreshadowing here. The conflicts in Kevin McAllister's home actually can teach us an awful lot about the conflicts that we tend to have in our lives as well. Um, the first thing that this scene illustrates is that conflict often convinces us that we're better off alone. That's what Kevin believed. He's like, you know what? I would be happier if I didn't have this family, if I didn't have these brothers, if I didn't have these cousins, if I didn't have these parents, if I didn't have to deal with any of you guys, if it were just me all by myself, life would be a lot better. And listen, if you live long enough, and by long enough, I mean like a week, okay? If you live at least a week, you will experience relational hurt in your life. People hurt people. It's like we don't even know that we're doing it. We don't mean to do it, whatever the cause or reason behind it. It's like just if you're in a relationship, friendship, romance, coworker situation, doesn't even matter. If you're in a relationship with somebody, eventually they're going to hurt you or wound you in some way or flip it the other way around. You're going to end up hurting or wounding them. Again, not always intentional, but it is the reality that we face. We just can't seem to help it. And it's so interesting to me that like Christmas is the season in which we emphasize joy and kindness and generosity. Doesn't it strike you as funny that we need an entire season to remind ourselves to be kind and joyful and generous? The reason that we have to keep reminding ourselves of those things every single December is that January through November, we really weren't any of those things. We struggled to be gracious to one another. We struggled to get along well and have healthy relational dynamics with each other. And so when this relational conflict arises, when we have struggles, fights, tensions with the people that are around us, our first instinct is to withdraw, to run away. When somebody hurts you, the very first thing you want to do is start to put up walls so they can't hurt you again, you know? It's like, all right, fool me once, shame on me, but fool me twice, shame on you. Or wait, I got that backwards. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. It's like, I, you can hurt me once, that's fine, but I'm not going to let that happen again. I will put up a barrier. I will put on some armor that is going to prevent you from ever making me feel the way that you did. And then it goes even further than that. If you get hurt a couple of times by different people, then we just start thinking, you know what? People are not worth it. Relationships are not worth it. I would be better off without another friend, without this family member, without a different girlfriend, whatever it might be. We stop pursuing relationships in our lives. And then we start lying to ourselves. You know, we're like, I'm just too busy right now for relationships. Or we say things like, well, I'm, I'm an introvert. And as an introvert, I don't really need other people in my life, okay? And while being alone can feel like freedom for a little while, that doesn't last for long. Anybody remember COVID lockdowns? I know I'm not supposed to talk about COVID lockdowns anymore. Everybody's like, can we just forget that ever happened? Yes, I'm with you, okay? But remember how it was. Like if you were an introvert during the COVID lockdowns, you're like, this is heaven, okay? This is amazing. I don't have to deal with people. I get to work from home in my boxer shorts. This is great, right? For a couple of weeks. And then even the most introverted people were like, wow, I actually miss people. Congratulations, God, you win. You surprised me, all right? I didn't think I ever wanted to be around other people, but here I am. See, we think 
that we would be better off if we were alone. And conflict often convinces us that we would be better off alone. But this is not God's ideal. God actually designed all of us to be in relationship with one another. This is part of the reason in Matthew chapter number 18, Jesus is giving a teaching on um, how to handle it as a Christian when somebody wrongs you right? When they take advantage of you, when they say something hurtful, whether they meant it or not, doesn't even matter. He gives a teaching in Matthew 18 on how to handle that. So look at what this passage says. Jesus tells us, if a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him, work it out between the two of you. Like you catch that between the two of you don't go like blabbing about it on Facebook to everybody. Don't go gossiping about it to all your other friends. Okay. Just work it out between the two of you. If he listens, then you've made a friend. If he won't listen, then take one or two others along so that in the presence of witnesses, things will be kept honest and then try again. If he still won't listen, why is it a guy? I don't know. I'm just going to point out. He's talking about a guy here. If he still won't listen, tell the church. And if he won't listen to the church, then you have to start over from scratch, confront him with the need for repentance and offer again God's forgiving love. Jesus' point here is not like, hey, gang up on people, okay? If somebody does you wrong, then call your homies and go after them. That's not his point. What he's saying is, when you're in conflict, there is going to be this voice or this sense that the best thing for you to do is to withdraw from relationships altogether. Life would be better if I didn't have all these other people with their messiness and demands in my life. But Jesus reminds us again and again that even in situations in which people are the cause of the conflict, you still need people around you. God designed you that way. So don't buy into the lie that you would be better off alone. You will not. In fact, if the enemy can convince you that you'd be better off alone and you start withdrawing from relationships, you put up armor, you don't let anybody in. If you start doing that, you know what eventually uh, you're left with? You're left with the burden of life on your shoulders with nobody to share it with. Nobody to help you when you're struggling. Nobody to be there for you when you have needs or when you do feel overwhelmed. And so that's the enemy's tactic, but it's certainly not what God has in store for you. This is precisely what Kevin McAllister discovers. So we're going to jump ahead just a little bit in the movie. So his parents have gotten on the plane. They've flown across the ocean. And along the way, we have that, you know, famous mom sit up. She's like, Kevin, we forgot Kevin at home. He wakes up and he's like, oh, this is amazing. So he starts living it up. He eats all the food that mom doesn't allow him to eat. He watches all the movies that he's not allowed to watch. He jumps on the bed. He just runs buck wild for a while. He's living in heaven. But eventually he starts to realize he's lonely. The very people that he was so desperate to get away from just a few minutes before, now he misses dearly. And he realizes that being alone actually isn't the solution that he was hoping for. So let's roll clip number two.
this moment, Kevin learns a truth that a lot of us really do need to remember. And that is keeping people away is not protection, it's punishment. That when we build barriers and we keep people at arm's length, when we refuse to have meaningful friendships, relationships, when we're not honest with anybody, when we protect ourselves by keeping people at a distance, we're not actually protecting ourselves. We are, in the end, punishing ourselves. That's because God has designed every single person on the planet to have meaningful relationships with one another. There is nobody that was created as a loner. There's not a single person that was meant to exist all on their own. If we go back to the creation story, way back, Genesis 1, 2, 3, we see that God created humanity to be in relationship with one another. There's this interesting point in the creation story, Genesis chapter number 2, God has created Adam, but he has not yet created Eve. And there's this interesting thing that happens where God looks down at his creation and he's like, wow, those animals, that's really good. Wow, these solar systems and galaxies, that's really good. Wow, the plants and the web, that's all good. But then he looks at Adam and Adam is all alone. And God says this, Genesis chapter number two, verse 18. It is not good for man to be alone. It's not good. It was never a part of God's original and good plan for us to live lives that were separate and, and guarded from other people. And you know what? That's true today, just like it was back then. How do I know that? Well, a few ways. One, you notice that nobody likes to admit that they're feeling lonely. Nobody likes to admit that. It's like we, we struggle to acknowledge, you know, I wish I had more friends. I wish I had more meaningful friendships. I wish I had somebody that I could call right now. It's like my birthday passed and I got a few Facebook messages, but like where were the people, right? Or I, I've been going through this hardship and I don't even know outside of my mom who to even call. I'm lonely. I'm isolated. But we struggle to acknowledge that. Um, we could also point out the fact that we literally use isolation as a form of punishment in our world. Like if your kids misbehave, what are you going to do? You can give them a swat on the backside. No, we don't do that anymore. What you're going to do is you're going to send them up to their room and they are going to spend some alone time, aren't they? Or you're going to put them in timeout over here in this special little chair over on this side of the room. They're not supposed to be talked to. They're not allowed to talk to anybody else. We isolate them as a way of showing them that what they've done is wrong. We recognize that being alone is not the way that people should normally exist. When prisoners break the rules inside of prison, what do we do? We send them into solitary. We use isolation as a form of punishment. So what's so fascinating to me is that there are a lot of people that are living a way of life and they think what they're doing is protecting themselves, but in reality, they're punishing themselves. You think you're ensuring that nobody will ever wound you the way that your dad did or the way that your sister did, or your former church did. You think you're protecting yourself, but in reality, you're simply punishing yourself. God's desire was never for you to be alone. God's desire was never for you to carry the burdens of life all by yourself. He has designed us and created us to be in relationship with one another. I have those days where I'm like, I want to live alone. <laughs> I don't want to deal with people anymore because relationships are complicated and they are messy. But listen now, God designed you to pursue relationships. But I want to be really clear. God did not design you to pursue relationships in general. 
Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There, I'm not telling you I don't believe God wants you to just, you need more relationships in your life. You need more friends. You need more girlfriends. You need more coworkers. You need more bosses. No, God hasn't called us to pursue more relationships. Generally, God has called us to pursue more meaningful relationships. You don't need more relationships. You need more of the right kind of relationships. I've said to you many times before, the best version of you is surrounded by godly people. That when we surround ourselves with the right kind of people, then we, we get to become who God created us to be. But if we surround ourselves with um, just relationships in general, then we end up with a lot more conflict, friction, and heartache. Nobody has time or capacity to waste on unfruitful relationships or regrettable romances. Amen? I don't want it. I don't want it. Somebody, I think it's my youth pastor actually, once explained to me relationships using Legos and things really clicked for me. Like it was really good. You see what I did there? Legos clicked. Just so you know, like with comedy, sometimes groans are just as good as laughs. So I win either way. Anyway, he, he started talking to me about relationships in terms of Legos. And basically what he said is this, like every person on the planet was designed by God to connect with other people, but we all have a maximum relational capacity. So like every person has their own individual and unique ability to connect. And there's a cap, there's a limit to how many people you can connect with in a, in a healthy or a good way. And so for some people, maybe an average, person, you might be able to connect like this yellow Lego block to four or five people. And you can have four or five meaningful friendships, four or five people that really know what's going on in your life, people that you could pick up the phone and call when times get tough. Then there are also you crazy folks. And you're like the gray block way over here on the end. Are you with me? And you can have so many friendships, so many relationships. You're the most popular person in any social circle. You just feel connected to absolutely everybody. And then there's me. I'm the red Lego block over here. And I'm like, I've got room in my life for one good relationship. That's all I've got. That's just the way that God created me. And so we can think of our, our capacity, our relational capacity in terms of these little pips on the top of Lego blocks. But here's what I want you to understand. First of all, no matter how many of those little connectors you have in your life, you were designed to connect with other people. Even that red single block right there, you see it has one pip at the top because it is meant to be a part of something bigger than itself. On its own, it's not very valuable. Like for Christmas this year, wrap up that single red little block and give it to your five-year-old son and see what he says. He's gonna be like, what am I gonna do with this? This is pointless, it's meaningless because it only makes sense. It can only thrive and flourish when it's a part of something bigger than itself. So no matter whether your relational capacity is super high or it's super small, every single one of us are designed by God to connect with other people in meaningful ways. But the second thing I want you to understand or notice, at least when it comes to this illustration here, is that no matter how many of those pips or connecting points you have at the top, whether it's a little or a lot, there is an upper limit. Everybody will eventually run out of room in their life for new people, right? And so again, it's not just the number of relationships that you have, it's the quality of relationships. You could be the gray block. You could be connected like loosely and superficially with a hundred people in your life. But if none of those relationships are real or honest or godly, then you don't have the healthy relationships 
that God wants for you. So even though there is an upper limit, there is always some measure, some number of healthy relationships that we should be pursuing in our lives. This is exactly what Kevin discovers in the next clip of our movie. He's going to have a conversation with another lonely soul, a guy named Old Man Marley. And what you need to know about Old Man Marley is he's Kevin's neighbor. He's an old guy that lives all by himself. And there are all these rumors in the neighborhood that he's a mean guy and he hates little boys and he hurt his wife back in the day. And, you know, it's just all these rumors about him. And uh, one night while Kevin is alone, he's actually going to run into Old Man Marley. He's going to learn some very helpful things about him and himself. So let's roll clip number three. say hello when you see me. You don't have to be afraid. There's a lot of things going around about me, but none of it's true. Okay? Been a good boy this year? I think so. You swear to it? No. Yeah, I had a feeling. Well, this is the place to be if you're feeling bad about yourself. It is? I think so. Are you feeling bad about yourself? No. I've been kind of a pain lately. I said some things I shouldn't have. I really haven't been too good this year. Yeah. I'm kind of upset about it because I really like my family. Even though sometimes I say I don't. 
Sometimes I even think I don't. Do you get that? I think so. How you feel about your family is a complicated thing. Especially with an older brother. Deep down, you always love them. But you can forget that you love them. And you can hurt them and they can hurt you. And that's not just because you're young. You want to know the real reason why I'm here right now? Sure. I came to hear my granddaughter sing. And I can't come and hear her tonight. You have plans? No. I'm not welcome. At church? Oh, you're always welcome at church. I'm not welcome with my son. Years back, before you and your family moved on the block, I had an argument with my son. How old is he? Well, he's grown up. We lost our tempers. And I said I didn't care to see him anymore. He said the same. And we haven't spoken to each other since. If you miss him, why don't you call him? I'm afraid if I call him, he won't talk to me. How do you know? I don't know. I'm just afraid he won't. No offense, but aren't you a little old to be afraid? You can be a little old for a lot of things. You're never too old to be afraid. That's true. I've always been afraid of our basement. It's dark, there's weird stuff down there, and it smells funny, that sort of thing. It's bothered me for years. The basements are like that. Then I made myself go down there to do some laundry, and I found out it's not so bad. All this time I've been worrying about it, but if you turn on the lights, it's no big deal. What's your point? My point is you should call your son. What if he won't talk to me? At least you'll know. Then you can stop worrying about it, and he won't have to be afraid anymore. I don't care how mad I was, I talked to my dad. Especially around the holidays. I don't know. Just give it a shot. For your granddaughter anyway. I'm sure she misses you. And the presents. I sent her a check. Wish my grandparents said that. They always send me clothes. Last year I got a sweater with a big burr knitted on it. Oh, well, that's nice. Not for a guy in the second grade. You can get beat up for wearing something like that. Oh? Yeah. I have a friend who got nailed because there was a rumor he wore dinosaur pajamas. You better run along home where you belong. You think about what I said, all right? Okay. It's nice talking to you. Nice talking to you. Hey, let that be a lesson to you. If you're sending gifts to somebody, don't send them an ugly sweater with a big knitted bird on it. Send them a nice check. They'll be happy, okay? What I love about this clip is that it's not just old man Marley helping Kevin, which is what you would expect, right? The kid's struggling. He's all on his own. He needs somebody in his life. But what we actually see is that, yes, but we also see Kevin helping old man Marley. This scene echoes what we read in James chapter number 5, verse 16. The, the scripture says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There is power in good relationships. There is power in having somebody that we can call on and say, you know what, I think I've really messed up here and I need some advice, I need some help, I need some encouragement, I need some prayer. There is power in godly relationships. 
Uh, there are a couple other things I like from this particular conversation these two gentlemen have. First, some of the most meaningful relationships that you'll have in life are some of the most unexpected. You realize that, right? I don't know if you've discovered this on your own, but eventually you will. Some of the people that you will eventually end up closest to are the ones that you didn't think you would like at all. That means we're not always the best judge of character or judge of like relational potential right off the bat. Like there are some of you guys and you walked in this morning and you're like, I am in a room full of a bunch of religious fruitcakes, okay? But you know what? You're going to end up liking us. We might be your new best friends. Who even knows at this point? The people that you think you wouldn't like, you wouldn't get along with. I don't know, God, life, there's just a way in which things that are unexpected or relationships that, that um, we aren't really anticipating, they, they unfold in surprising and helpful ways. Second thing I noticed from this scene is that it takes risk to experience the power of relationship. You know, there were all these rumors about who old man Marley was and when he comes walking up to Kevin there in the church scene, Kevin could have like jumped up out of his seat and ran as fast as he could back home but he didn't he stayed in the moment he took a risk and because of that he actually made a great friend and I, by the way I don't think that it was an accident that these two met in the church are you with me this is not a Christian movie or anything but it's just really fascinating to me that when they're feeling bad about themselves where do they go they go to church when they're looking for meaningful relationships where do they go they go to church but hey whatever okay and then the third thing I noticed from this scene is that uh, we don't just need these sorts of healthy godly relationships we don't need them just for like emotional reasons or even spiritual reasons sometimes we just need them for practical reasons we need somebody that's going to be there for us when life gets really really hard in fact, in our next scene, when Kevin was in his most vulnerable moment, it was his new friend that he just made at the church who comes to his rescue. Let's roll clip number four. outsmarted you this time. 
Get over here. What are you going to do to him, Harry? I'll do exactly what he did to us. And I'll burn his head with a blowtorch. You can smash his face with an iron. I can slap him right in the face with a paint can, maybe. Or shove a nail through his foot. First thing I'm going to do is bite off every one of these little fingers, one at a time. <laughs> oh! Oh! Come on, let's get you home. Hey, can I tell you something important? It's not the walls that we build that protect us. It's the people around us that protect us. You know that, right? We build walls thinking we are protecting ourselves. We're setting ourselves up to be, you know, free from conflict and difficulty and problems and things like that. But that's not the way life actually works. We need other people to help us when life gets really hard, to rescue us when things fall apart. In Ecclesiastes chapter number four, verses nine to 10, we read this. Two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. It was three people back there at the sound desk that just made all this work again, hello. Each one of us needs people in our lives that are going to show up when we need help. When times get tough, when we don't have the answers, when we feel like we're all alone and the weight of the world or the weight of our situation is crushing us, we need people to show up, like with a shovel if necessary. You've got to have these kind of people in your life. This is God's desire and his design for you. When Kevin in the movie was outmatched physically, but also outmatched emotionally and spiritually and all of those other things as well, it was having somebody with him that made all the difference. Somebody with him allowed him to experience victory and deliverance from his problems. And the same is true for each one of us as well. Now, of course, as with all Christmas movies, this is part of the reason some people hate Christmas movies so much. By the end, everything works out great, okay? We're going to roll the final clip here. Kevin is going to wake up on Christmas morning, can you believe it? And he's going to be reunited with his family.
Where's everybody else? Oh, baby, they couldn't come. They wanted to so much. Oh, no, no, I didn't fall asleep in the back of the cabin. Oh, 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 you did I? You oh, did, Julie. Oh, shut up, baby. Oh, 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 it's good to see you. Ah, you're all right. I love you. You okay? Hey, Kev. It's pretty cool that you didn't burn the place down. <laughs> Thanks, Buzz. Wait a minute. How did you guys get home? Oh, we took the morning flight, remember? The one you didn't want to wait for? Oh, no. Merry oh, oh, thank uh, Merry you. Christmas. Merry Christmas. Okay. Well, someone has to find an open store. We don't even have milk here. I went shopping yesterday. You shopping? I got the milk, eggs, and fabric softener. No kidding. What a funny guy. What else did you do while we were away? Just hung around. You guys put yourself upstairs. He went shopping? Yeah, go. He doesn't know how to tie his shoe. He's going shopping? This is not the Kevin I knew. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Honey, what's this?
I like the fact that he cleaned the entire house except Buzz's room. That's a pretty good flex right there. You know, if you just watch the movie kind of uncritically, just superficially, Home Alone is like this story of this kid that gets thrust into a hard circumstance and then because of his cleverness and his cunning, he's able to overcome the bad guy villains and all that sort of stuff. But that actually misses the meaning of Home Alone completely. Ultimately, Home Alone is a story about a young man who believes that he would be better off alone, but eventually comes to realize that life is better together. How many times have you heard us say that at Connect Church? Life is better together. For goodness sake, this is why we named our church Connect Church, because we want you to have meaningful, life-giving, godly relationships with one another. I tell our staff all the time, people will not come back because we have good preaching or because we have great coffee or because we have an easily accessible location. People will stick around at Connect Church because they have meaningful relationships with one another. That's the key. That's what we've got to build towards. And so my challenge to you today is to maybe embrace the lesson that Kevin had to learn. That is that life is better together. So like, you might have to lower some of your defenses a little bit. Again, I know you had that terrible church experience and they hurt you and I'm not minimizing what they did, but if you ever hope to heal and move past it, you can't put up barriers and then forget it ever happened. You've actually got to enter into it again. You've got to take the risk. Same thing is true with friendships. Somebody, they, they betrayed you or they wounded you in some way. And I know that the, the natural instinct and inclination then is to just keep people at arm's length, but that's not God. God's design or desire for you. God's design and desire for every single one of us is to be in relationship, healthy, life-giving relationship with one another. So maybe you need to join a group. Like our, our semester of Connect groups just ended like this week, unfortunately. Uh, and the next one's not starting till January. So you're like, what? You're telling me to get ready to join a group like four weeks from now? Yes. And the reason that I'm advertising it this early is some of you introverts, you got to hype yourself up for a full hour just to make a single phone call. So like the idea of joining a group, you got to real, you got to spend a full month saying, okay, this is the semester. I'm going to do it. Finally, I'm going to find a group. I'm going to find some healthy friendships. Hey, I would encourage you to join the dream team. The dream team is a group essentially that meets all year long. It's opportunities to serve, but it's like sharing your life with other people. I was having a conversation with a lady in the lobby last week and she was saying, you know, I've been coming to this church for a long time, but I recently joined the dream team and it wasn't until I joined the team that I really started to get to know people. And I feel like people are starting to get to know me as well because we are uh, doing life together. So I would challenge you and encourage you to like take a risk, step into healthy relationships. And hey, if the spirit speaks to you about this and there is some broken relationship in some area of your life, it's a family member or a friend or a, an ex or something like that. And the spirit is telling you like, it's time to heal, to mend, to restore that relationship. I would encourage you to do whatever God tells you to do, to reach out, make a phone call like Marley did, whatever it takes so that you can experience this full and complete restoration that God has in store for you. Ultimately though, there's one relationship that matters beyond all others. In the book of Proverbs, uh, we're told prophetically, the, the psalmist, uh, it's Psalm, sorry. In the book of Psalms, the psalmist is speaking about Jesus, the Messiah. And he says this, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 
There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Listen, no matter how like healthy and good and godly your relationships are, eventually they're gonna let you down. There's going to be a time you need somebody and they're not there for you. There's gonna be a time they say a careless word. They don't intend to, but that's just the nature of life as people. But God will never abandon you. God will never leave you alone in your difficulty. God will never forsake you. He promises us this much. And so the first relationship that you should invest in, you should seek, you should make your priority is your relationship with your heavenly father. If you would do that, you would start to see all the other relationships in your life. They would take on a new quality, a new dimension because you're able to see people differently than you did before you had this connection with God. It's unfortunate to me that many, many people are living a a relationally full life with other people, but they're living a relationally isolated life from God. They don't have a relationship with them. And everybody can. doesn't matter who you are, what your background is. God knows you. He loves you. And he wants to be in relationship with you. All you have to do is pray and ask him. It's just like any relationship. We open ourselves up to it and then we receive. God promises us if we cry out to him, he will come in and share life with us. So I want to pray for us. And I wanna pray that we would be a church full of these kind of relationships and that the Christmas season in particular, you wouldn't feel alone, you wouldn't feel isolated, but you would feel deeply seen and known and loved by God and by the people that you're sitting in the room with. God, just bless our church. Give us these vibrant relationships that we know we should have. Give us healthy relationships in which people bear one another's burdens and God, they show up for one another when there's a need or a problem arises. Help this to be the place, God, where our best friends are found. And most importantly, help us to have a dynamic, a real living personal relationship with you through your son, Jesus, who makes it all possible. That's the message of Christmas, God, that you are with us and for us. And so we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, before I go, I figure I ought to let Kevin McAllister have the final word, a benediction, if you will. So let's roll this last clip. Merry Christmas, you filthy animal, and a Happy New Year. Thank you.